Just, you guys keep getting that backwards for some reason. Okay, so I watched that, and it, and it just strikes me um, for a couple of different reasons. First off, because I am not immune to completely missing the point of Christmas. I don't, I don't want you to miss what one of those kids said when, when we asked him, what's the most important thing for Christmas? And he goes, getting the right presents for each person because the right present shows that you love them. And I feel like that so correctly at least articulates a mindset that I feel that creeps into me. That somehow what I get for people tells them that I love them. As if a present is more important than actually being present or something like that. And, and I would like to think that as a pastor, I can kind of rise above the fray that is the media blitz of, of Christmas and all this kind of stuff and actually be able to weather the storm and worship my God in the midst of it and keep Christ at the center of Christmas. And yet I get caught up in it the same way. We did this video on Wednesday and Black Friday morning, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to stay in the house. I'm going to be with my family. And around six o'clock, I'm like, I just have to go see. So I get up and I'm gone for like four hours. And I come home with like a bicycle pump. And so I, I bought four things, none of which were on sale. <laughs> Went to five different stores. And in the whole part, I'm just becoming more and more disgusted with myself over this whole thing. I'm like, come on, hypocrisy. And so... I have found, I'm not sure about you, but I've found that Christmas after Christmas, I get excited about it. I get into it. And then Christmas comes and goes, and it's December 26th, and, I'm, and as I'm cleaning up this pile of, of wrapping paper and having to shift presents to the end of the couch and stacking sweaters that I'll never wear so I can sit down somewhere, I'm left with the sinking feeling that I've missed the point altogether. And I'm sick of that feeling. I don't want to feel that way this year. The second reason that this video really, or having this conversation with these kids really impacted me is because I've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And the four-year-old is at that age this Christmas where what we do this year is going to have an impact on Christmases to come. In some ways, the wet cement of his expectations is still wet, but it's drying really quickly. At this point, Jesus and Santa have yet to duke it out as the central figure of their Christmas celebration. And what Kathy and I choose to do, how we choose to celebrate this time, will have an impact. And so again, I don't want to miss it. Nor do I want to kind of approach this Christmas as I have in years past, where I just kind of let Christmas happen to me. I want to be intentional about the way that we celebrate Christmas. And one of the things that I'm trying to do this year just as, as a way of kind of pulling myself back and in, investing a little bit more of myself into it is make things with my hands as gifts as opposed to just going out and buying something just to try something different. I am not good with working with my hands. I'm, I've got the spiritual gift of deconstruction, not actually <laughs> creativity. But I had a friend who, who just tore up the back of her patio and she had all of this wood and apparently reclaimed wood is a big deal these days. So she's like, Hey, Facebook reclaimed wood. I've got a bunch of it. If you want to come get it. And my wife's like, let's do it. Let's go get reclaimed wood. I'm going fine. Let's go get reclaimed wood. And I get this and, and we bring it home and there's just leaves and dirt and nails everywhere that have kind of, you know, they've rusted, they're falling apart where they just break off. And it's just one of those things where I spent an hour taking nails out of these pieces of wood. 
And yet as I did it, and I started to see kind of this, I'm left with this beautiful, weathered wood that is kind of a blank canvas then to make something new. And so for Thanksgiving, it's so funny because my wife had the idea to do this. And then I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm in. And now I've taken it over. And I'm like, this is my project, baby, my idea. So for Thanksgiving, I just, you know, I kind of threw something on a piece of wood and, 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 and it turned out cool. And my, the, pro, the projects that don't work out is firewood. So it's perfect. You can't lose. In a lot of ways, I kind of feel like Christmas is a lot like this wood here. It's wonderful. It's an amazing tradition that we've been celebrating as a church, Christianity as a whole, for about 1,650 years. And it's only got richer as the, the centuries have passed. However, during that time, it's also begun to accumulate a bunch of stuff, extra traditions, other things that have been added on. Some traditions, we've completely forgotten what they're all about, and so they're almost meaningless things that are just part of our worship celebration. In order for us to really celebrate this Christmas with our whole heart, I think in some ways what I'd like to do this morning is kind of take a step back, and like I did with this wood, just begin to strip away all of the excess stuff that's accumulated over time. To begin to pull back to when this was originally, when Christmas was originally invented, if you will. What was the heart of it? What are the traditions that we carry with us and why are they there? Then, once we've done that, we'll have the ability to start making intentional choices about how we celebrate our Christmas season. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to kind of do a little bit of detective work. We're going to strip away the layers and go back to the beginning of what Christmas is all about. So put on your thinking caps. We're going to, we're going to go on a magical history tour about 1,650 years back to the 4th century. This is something like 350 years after Jesus Christ was crucified and raised again from the grave. Okay? During that time, Rome was again the preeminent nation in all of the world. Its power had only expanded since Jesus' time to the point where, at this point, Rome, the, the borders of Rome encompass almost all of Europe, almost all of the Middle East, even some parts of the Orient up north, and Egypt and Africa down below. It was huge. And within this massive kingdom, which was one empire ruled by one kind of Caesar, you have a whole bunch of disparate cultures, disparate people who have different traditions. They have different worldviews. They worship different gods, all of these kind of things. They have different worship celebrations. Also during the fourth century, Christianity went from being this backwater religion that that Christians had to worship in secret for fear of being arrested to becoming not only accepted in the kingdom under Constantine, but then later it became the single overarching religion of the Roman Empire. Basically, Rome said Christianity is going to be the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to be the God that we will worship and Jesus Christ will be our Lord and Savior. This is what the Roman government decided in the fourth century. But you run into some difficulties because Imagine for a second that America decided that we wanted to empire build again. You know, the space that we have isn't enough. So let's expand. And in fact, there's some nice, 
you know, real estate over in northern Africa. Maybe it's Niger, Libya, even Egypt. There's some unrest going on over there. Let's go conquer that territory, even though it's predominantly Muslim, something like 90, 95% Muslim um, worshipers over there. And as soon as we conquered that area, you are now a Christian nation. Congratulations. You're all Christians. How does that work? Do you think that people who have been worshiping the God of Islam, the, the people who have been keeping Islamic tradition throughout their entire lives are going to flip on a dime and go, okay, Jesus, okay, Christmas, and all those kind of things. It's not so easy, is it? And we see, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, we see within Rome, you've got this mass of people who have different customs and worship different gods. For instance... Uh, around the Christmas season, what we understand as a Christmas, during winter, there is a time called the winter solstice. The winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. It's where the sun is at its lowest point in the sky and goes back down. And that marks kind of the core or the center of the winter season. And there are a ton of pagan holidays that fell right around there. Up in the Germanic provinces, so up in Germany, Scandinavia today, um, in Rome, there were people who um, would worship Yule. It was basically a worship of, of nature, but they called it Yule or Yuletide. During this time, they would cut down trees, evergreens, and they would bring them into their homes and they would decorate their homes with these evergreens that never lose, lose its green color. They would also go and grab a log, a real thick one, stick it on their hearth and, and allow it to burn over that season. And that was called a Yule log. And this is the way that they would worship nature. And, and it was almost a declaration of hope for a new spring because they're in the dead of winter. In Rome proper, today's Italy, they worshiped something called Saturnalia. It was a huge celebration. Again, the term is Saturnalia. And it was a worship of the god Saturn, who was a god of agriculture. They believed that Saturn somehow affected the growing of plants and all of these things. And since it was the middle of the winter, this was the time to celebrate kind of his rebirth and, and a hope for a new spring. And so they marked their Saturnalia celebration that lasted from December 17th until December 24th with walking around singing songs in the streets, praising Saturn. They would exchange gifts with one another in Saturn's name. They would... Um, have big feasts. And there was just a whole bunch of debauchery that went on during this time because in a lot of ways they disregarded the laws and Roman customs and just kind of had fun. This was a time to celebrate. And then right on the heels of Saturnalia, on the 25th of December every year, hold on, we're, we're ahead. We're, you're too far ahead. Um, can we back up? Maybe not. Okay. The, the third thing that they would celebrate on the 23rd, 24th, 25th. Thank you. Oh, I guess that was the first one. Never mind. <laughs> okay, it's not in your notes. It's not a, there's not a slide. The final thing, and these are in your notes if you have it, is the birthday of the unconquered son. Dies Natalis Solus Invicti. That was a day in which, you understand, Rome had this thing for the sun, so much so that the Roman emperors often had coins with themselves on the front and on the back was the sun or the god of the sun. It was such a big god to them 
that they set apart the seventh day of every week and they called it Sunday to have a day of rest and relaxation in honor of the son who provided all of these good things. It was a big deal to them. And they celebrated right after the winter solstice, right after the shortest day of the year, they celebrated the rebirth of the unconquered sun. No, winter couldn't destroy it. The sun is still strong. The sun is coming back and we have spring to look forward to. And so you see, within, even within Rome itself, there were all of these pagan traditions that fell around this season. And the church is now, the, the Christianity has now said, congratulations, you are the official religion of this random conglomeration of perspectives and, and traditions. And the church had some choices to make. Do we, one, outlaw their pagan holidays, say you cannot celebrate this, you can't bring evergreens into your home, you can't burn a Yule log, you can't exchange gifts in the name of Saturn, you can't sing songs in the name of Saturn, you cannot celebrate the birthday of the sun because we don't even recognize the sun as a god at all. Do you just outlaw all of those things, which would probably cause a religious uprising? Do you, second, a second option would be you just ignore it. We're not going to change it. So let's disregard that it's even happening. Kind of like we do with Halloween, right? Regardless of the fact that it's got pagan roots, let's ignore that fact and just celebrate. It's not a big deal. Or do you three, the third option would be to refocus it. Do you take something that has pagan roots and do you insert Jesus into the center of it and say, listen, rather than bringing these evergreens in as a way of worshiping nature, let's cut down trees and bring them into our homes and we'll decorate them with apples. Kind of as hearkening back to the Garden of Eden when God provided everything we had and we were in communion with him. And as a a declaration of our hope for that day when we will once again be back in God's presence as his kids, where we no longer have to be estranged at all. Back when one day we look forward to a new Eden when we will spend eternity with God. So let's bring those trees and let's repackage what that means. Today we put ornaments on our trees in much the same way. Do you do that? Do you repackage it so that You know, rather than singing songs to Saturn, we sing Christmas carols about Jesus Christ and that silent night. And rather than worshiping the unconquered sun in the sky, why don't we worship the son of God who was born, probably not in December at all, but who was born, took on the frailty of human flesh, walked amongst us, and then sacrificed his life for us so that we could spend eternity with God and then rose triumphantly out of the grave, unconquerable by sin and death. Let's worship him rather than the son that has no power at all. And so that's what the church chose to do. Let's take these traditions and let's refocus them. Now, some of you might be hearing this and going, I am not comfortable with this line of thinking. I'm not comfortable with the fact that we would celebrate something that is, obviously has some pagan origins. That's, that's not okay. But as I thought about that, I remembered that there is a lot of precedent in Scripture for this. It, take Jesus, for instance. When Jesus went around and was teaching, 
he made a point of speaking his audience's language. He would be talking to people who were agrarian, you know, they, they grew their food. And so when he was teaching, he would teach in parables that used things like a sower goes into the field and he throws out his seed and some of it grows on the, the rocky soil and so forth. You, you see, he pulls from things that they're familiar with so that they can understand that he was speaking their language. Or take Paul. Paul's probably the best example we see in scripture. As he was going from city to city to city, he encountered people with very divergent perspectives. He went into Athens one day, which was the center of of philosophy in that region. And he was looking around and he saw all of these different statues to all of these pagan gods. And then he went into the Areopagus, the place where all the philosophers congregated. And he said, hey, listen, I know that you guys are religious. I mean, look around. And and you have all of these statues to all these gods. And you even have a statue to an unknown God. Well, that God that you worship as unknown, I know him. He's the creator and sustainer of everything that we have. And I want to introduce you to him. So Paul himself took something that had pagan origins, inserted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob into it, and and ultimately led them into the gospel's narrative. And that's that's what the church 1,650 years ago chose to do. Let's take something that is pagan origin and let's refocus it on Jesus Christ. Well, over the centuries, the way that we celebrate Christmas, the giving of gifts, even St. Nicholas and the way that he's morphed into somebody that we know, but we won't mention his name right now. Parents, it's up to you to to decide how you deal with that. Um, We now, today, kind of think that we have a monopoly on this midwinter season. Christmas is a Christian holiday. It's ours. We stole it fair and square, hands off. But society has taken a page from our playbook. And in the same way that we inserted Jesus and refocused this holiday to be on Christ, they have been inserting their God into this holy day and saying this God, the God of consumerism, this God is worthy to be worshipped. This God is worthy to be revered and for us to invest our lives towards. This God that calls us to accumulate and show our love through the things that we give to people. And I'll say this, there is nothing wrong with giving gifts. There's nothing wrong with going out shopping. We all need to do it in order to survive. But any time that something begins to eclipse our focus on Jesus Christ, any time that something gets in the way, even good things, we need to kind of reassess And that's all we're doing this morning is we're reassessing how we celebrate this holiday and what we are celebrating, what we're worshiping. Jesus was pretty outspoken in his warnings about the way that we worship and what we worship and particularly to avoid the worship of stuff. You don't need to turn here. I'm just going to go to two, two places where Jesus is speaking very outright against consumerism. The first is in Luke chapter 12. Verse 15, he says this, watch out, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Watch out. Your life is not about what you have or what you accumulate. And yet so many of us, I I suspect, 
don't necessarily agree and are wanting to at least give it a try to see if we can make something of ourselves or keep up with the Joneses, if you will. And I'm telling you, Mike and Clarissa run really quickly. So, <laughs> Then again, in Matthew chapter 6, as he's talking about it, this is a passage we were all very familiar with, but he's saying, listen, nobody, nobody can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can not serve both God and money. And yet I, I recognize even within myself this tendency to think, well, I kind of can. You know, I, I, I serve God. Money serves me. And yet I find so often when, when things get tight, when things get tough, when I begin to get nervous about things, where is my first inclination to run to? To my bank account. And only once I've kind of gotten to the point where I've exhausted that, do I begin to go, God, I need your help. It's so easy for money to become a rival God. And we've talked about this a bunch and we're going to need to keep talking about it because in Southern California, it is one of our American idols. When the Hebrews or the Israelites all throughout the old Testament, you read about them. They were constantly getting sucked into worshiping other gods as they would go from area to area, interacting with other cultures. There were other gods that were presented to them. Not once did the Israelites outright denounce their worship of Yahweh to pursue one of those other gods. They always declared with their lips their worship of Yahweh. While at the same time, they began to take steps towards this functional God that would somehow meet their need in the moment. A God perhaps that they would have a little bit more control over. And I see in some ways we have that same tendency and money is one of those things where we say, God, I worship and I serve you alone. And yet we race after these things thinking that this will somehow complete us. Consumerism is a rival God. And in this season, our culture, which is driven by consumerism, has made a point to insert its God into this holy season, into this holy celebration. And so we no longer have a monopoly on Christmas. What we have is a choice of who we're going to worship. More so, what we have And ultimately, this is where it's all going today. This is where I've wanted the one point I'm trying to make. I've got one. Christmas is an opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity. It's not an expectation. It's not something that's going to happen naturally where you can just sit back and let it happen to you. We need to be intentional, especially because we have so many things competing with us. One last thing I totally skipped out on, and we'll come back to that point, because there's this quote that I thought is a really powerful one, and go ahead and put it up there. It's by a guy named Ralph Winter. That's not it. That's not it. There we are. Got it. This is written by a guy who is a founder of World Vision. He, he writes this, The underdeveloped societies suffer from one set of diseases, tuberculosis, malnutrition, pneumonia, parasites, typhoid, cholera, typhus, and so on. Affluent America has invent, virtually invented a whole new set of diseases. We'll call it affluenza, okay? Obesity, 
arteriosclerosis, heart disease, stroke, lung cancer, venereal disease, cirrhosis of the liver, drug addiction, alcoholism. In saving ourselves, we have nearly lost ourselves. It's by Ralph Winter, the founder of Frontier Mission Fellowship. We have so many things that when we look around us and we see our friends next to us and we see their affluence, we can, we can be in the top 1% of the world and still feel poor and wonder why God doesn't love us and why God isn't meeting our needs. Even within the church, we can sometimes pitch this idea that if we come to Jesus Christ, he will care for us because he loves us, which is true. But sometimes what we think we need is not necessarily more stuff. I can't even park my car in my garage most of the time because I've got so much stuff, and yet I still feel the need to accumulate. So to make the point again, the only point I'm trying to make today, this season, Christmas, is an opportunity one that we need to take advantage of, one we need, that we need to be intentional about. How can we keep Jesus Christ at the center of Christmas? The name Christmas, Christ Mass, a celebration of the Christ child. How can we keep Jesus at the center of it? My wife and I are, are really exploring that. I threw it out on Facebook. How are you guys doing? And I've learned some things from other families that were really insightful. We're, we're still kind of like stumbling around in the dark. We've got a couple of things that we've started doing every morning this month. The first thing is my buddy Nassim Minashi, Marge's husband, makes these advent calendars, which are awesome, handmade. Um, and every morning when we wake up, starting on the first day of December, we get to put one of the animals onto this nativity scene. But we don't just do that. We slow down and we talk about what was going on and the, the excitement that was building and we hint that there's something coming, but the animals don't know what it is and all of that. And then later we're going to get to the shepherds and we're going to talk about who they were and what their role was in all of this. And then the wise men and, and the angels singing, well, what were they saying and all of that. So every morning we have the opportunity to slow down a little bit and kind of address it. Now, I know that Nassim makes these and you could probably talk to him about getting one. Moving on. The other thing that we have is this nativity that's set up. And Ethan, every morning, knows exactly where everything goes. The rooster has to go on the roof. We broke Joseph. So he's not here right now. He's mending. Um, but he, we talk about baby Jesus, and we talk about the fact that, well, a couple of days ago we had this conversation. Hey, Ethan. Whose birthday are we celebrating this month? Oh, Jesus's, which is always the right answer, right? We celebrate Jesus's birthday. And what do we do when it's somebody's birthday? We give them a present. <gasps> Interesting. What kind of present would you want to get for baby Jesus for his birthday? He's not a baby anymore, by the way, son. But, he, you know, what present would you want to get for Jesus for his birthday? A star? Like, okay. <laughs> you know, I think he's got all of those. What do you think? And we started thinking about it. And then I remembered that statement that Jesus made in the whole conversation of whatever you do for the least of these. He says this, whatever you have done for the least of these, you've done for me. And we started talking about the fact that 
when we take care of somebody who has greater needs than ourselves, we are in effect taking care of Jesus. I said, Ethan, do you know any people who, who might have more needs than you? Any kids maybe that don't have as much as you? And maybe what you could do is you could give them one of your toys, something that you value as, as a way of giving to baby Jesus. And he goes, okay. And he goes into his room and picked his smallest toy truck. And I went, it's a start. This morning we tried it again, hoping, I was hoping for like the big thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, he gave up his Thomas the Train set. And he gave like the smallest stuffed animal, but it's bigger than the truck. So we're going in the right direction. And we're going to keep doing this because he's, he is a wayman. He's hard headed and, and it's just going to take time. But our goal this season, our goal as a family is to refocus away from simply getting stuff, simple accumulation, to actually remembering what the true purpose of this season is. As a family, we're going to be working towards being more present with one another as opposed to simply getting more presents. And I certainly don't have this figured out. In the coming years, we're going we're gonna to learn even more. Um, and I, I know that there are a lot of you that probably have some amazing traditions that we could learn from as well. And what I want to do this morning is invite one family to come forward who does have a tradition that's different from ours that I want them to, to share with you. So can I have David, Teresa, the stacks come forward, please? this is part of the stack family and what i'd love for you guys to do is share a little bit about how you guys how are you bella are you gonna are you gonna be sharing with everybody how do you guys keep jesus christ in the center what is one tradition that you guys do to keep jesus in the center of christmas we'd want to talk about is um, on Christmas Eve, our whole family's together, and our family's quite large. My sister Sherry started a tradition, it's been several years now, instead of getting there and starting to eat and starting the party and kicking it up, we stop and we do a whole nativity. We, she brings um, costumes for all the kids to be shepherds and kings and Joseph. And, and in our family, every year, we've been blessed to have a baby Jesus about every, <laughs> about every year. Um, and that time that we spend singing every Christmas, and we do the long version and every year, and, it's, and, it, and it does grow a little bit every year because my sister Sherry is the biggest blessing that we have of, of keeping that at the forefront. But that time and the kids dressed up, and usually mine's one running around with the shepherd hat and his underwear and nothing else. And, Come on. And, and I, I'm just, Matt and I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Me. That's just like Pastor Eric. Um, that time has just been so special. So special, and then we, you know, take turns reading um, from the passages, and, and that moment to me has just been awesome. Um, we do some things around the house, you know, as as we're building up to that, mm. trying to make sure we're, we're we're talking about the reason. And some of the most fun I think in the last couple of years is our two little boys starting to lead us in prayers, and they prayer. It's pretty fun. It could be for you know the animals. It could be for orcas, orcas and, dolphins. and dolphins and sharks and anything, whatever they saw at SeaWorld. But to have them sitting there and clasping their hands and, and praying and you know just it, it's been it's been pretty awesome. So that's just a little bit of what we do. Try to keep it at the forefront. I'm sure my wife and uh, Bella is doing a great job too of uh, being a big sister and helping to teach her little brothers about um, Jesus. 
And I wanted to talk about um, the nativity that we do every year because, as some of you may or may not know, I'm always too loud, um, is that, uh, you know, Bella and I came uh, to the Stack family five years ago, and Bella was um, already a, a huge blessing. And um, the Stack family is very large. <laughs> He's the youngest of nine. And our first Christmas, we were engaged, and we went, um, we got to go to the Christmas Eve, and Sherry made sure to have a part for us mm-hmm. and gave us, each of us, um, you know, a, a script, and we got to take part in it. And having Bella play Mary throughout the years and the boys be Jesus. And um, every year, and all the kids take part. I mean, everybody every of all ages take part. And it's amazing to have the teenagers and the, the 20-year-olds come and um, help dress the little kids and get them really involved and give out the, the, um, the parts. And everyone looks forward to it every year. Mm-hmm. So it's really awesome. Awesome. Did you want to say anything? <laughs> well, what we wanted to have you um, help us in this morning is one of our traditions. And, Bella, I'll have you do this with your family. Um, over here we have our Advent candles. And last week we lit the first one that, that symbolizes um, hope. And, Bella, I'm going to have you light the second of the candles, which is the candle of faith. Faith that we're part of something much, much larger. So go ahead and, yeah, there's a parental lock on that thing. Perfect. And these candles are simply another tradition that we keep, one that reminds us as we lead into Christmas that um, Jesus was the hope of the world and we have our faith in him, and it's only through our faith that we're saved. So thank you guys for sharing, and thanks for being a part of this. Love you guys. we got one more. I've got, I'm going to have the band come forward. I, I've got one more way that perhaps you could participate. And there's one last slide that we had up there. There. There's a Christmas devotional that some friends of mine over at Church Resource Ministries put out. They also put down, out an Easter Lenten devotional that some of us did this year. They've got one coming out for Christmas. It's going to begin tomorrow and will run for two weeks, written by missionaries from all around the world. So if you'd like to receive it, it's actually CRM, not RM. So www.crmleaders.org backslash subscribe. Once again, there is a C before the R in that. And I'll, I'll send out a, an all-church email just so you guys get that as well. But I would encourage you to go on there, sign up for it. It was really fun during Lent to be able to get one of these coming in every day and to be able to read it and just kind of refocus again for that day what this season is really about. So let's spend some time worshiping and thanking God for the gift of his son.